BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I eat one meal a day, run to Starbucks, get a quick coffee, and eat like three, four bags of candy. So you get the Skittles gummies. Then I got uh, the Lifesaver Creations. They're the same size bag, so I just mix them. And then I eat dinner, go to sleep. I think we got to start the DK Metcalf diet. I think if there's been plenty of talk about that over the course of the last week. One meal a day plus candy. That's pretty much my diet anyway. One meal a day plus candy. It's amazing. It's amazing. It, It speaks to the functioning just unbelievable machine of a body that he has that he is not affected by the sugar and the insulin and it just turns into bigger pecs and more six-pack and bigger hamstrings I mean that's what we're dealing with there that's that's truly a freak of nature the guy that can do that and get away with it well and I think that's the one thing we're overlooking in all of this it is genetics plus a ridiculous work ethic. That's what's amazing to me. The fact that he doesn't need more fuel of a more traditional protein packed variety (laughs) to be as big as he is. And the guy's a superhero. I remember three years ago when he was entering the draft, how amazed we were by the photos. The first time I ever saw a photo of DK Metcalf shirtless and flexing, I just thought it was Photoshopped. I didn't think it was real. Brown, right? Yes. And and Metcalf, like there were muscles that I didn't even know the human body had that were easily visible on his frame. Unbelievable human specimen, and he continues to be the talk of the league as we are now three weeks away from the draft. Pizza and a bowl of candy. That's what I had last night. I don't look like him. Uh, No, you definitely don't look like him for sure. Uh, It is. uh, You're right. It's the genetics. It's the work that he's already put in that makes that machine just soak up all those calories and it doesn't matter. But that's still, even for a guy like DK Metcalf, that's, that's pretty amazing that he can get away with that and look the way he, he can. I, I've been around some freaky guys where diet, workouts, it didn't matter. They were still you know gifted when they took their shirt off or it came to a workout. But, man, I don't know. That, that, that right there. I mean, what does he feel like in the morning? That's what I want to know. Doesn't he have like a sugar crash? He must feel like he's in a coma when he wakes up in the morning. There have been plenty of guys over the year, too, that I can remember who had a junk food, fast food diet and just kind of shrugged at it. Marvin yeah. Harrison was that way. Chad Johnson was that right. way. Now, I don't know how much of it is just for the benefit of media and discussion, and maybe he's really not only eating those things. But regardless, at some point it's going to catch up to you if you are yeah. eating only the things that DK Metcalf claims to eat. At some point, the TB12 method needs to get mixed into the equation or you're not going to make it 
to 30 or beyond as an NFL player. Father Time's easiest path toward kicking your ass is through your diet. It definitely is. And the Brady's going to be the, the poster child for that. But no doubt, the work ethic, the diet, that, that's what's going to give you the longevity to what you're saying. You, know, you can get away with it probably until he's about 28, 29, 30 years old. But after that, that's where you know, the Pied Piper will, will come uh, asking for you know, some fat and everything else. <laughs> I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. As you were, <laughs> as you were articulating, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get yeah. you. I think I – You know I what I meant? We, we, it didn't come out very smoothly, but you know what I meant. Who do you mean? All right, it's Thursday edition of PFT Live. Hello to everyone out there watching and or listening. I guess you could be doing both. I don't know why you would, but we're on Peacock, Sirius XM85, podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello to our – well, you know what? I don't think we're on Sky tonight. I, I get regular updates. I try to tell people as tactfully as I can when they raise with me questions or complaints about our very fluid schedule on Sky Sports action. It goes from Sky Sports NFL to Sky Sports action in the offseason, as if there is an offseason in the NFL. I try to let them know I really don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's just that I don't care. There's nothing I can do about it. What can I do? How am I going to approach this complaint you've given me? I'm done forwarding it to other people within NBC and saying, hey, can you I'm done. I'm done because they don't listen to me. Not NBC, but Sky doesn't listen to us. So, and no one who's who lives in the UK, unless they are checking out the podcast, is hearing any of this because we're not on tonight. So, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do other than do the show. Right, Chris? That's all we can do. Everything else is out of our control. I got we no show plan. up sometimes just before the show begins, put in our two hours, do the best show we can, and if Sky wants to put, put it on that night... That's guy's prerogative. If they got darts or tiddlywinks or sitting around the pub drinking beer, whatever it is they want to put on instead, which actually sounds like a pretty good show. There's a show. <laughs> that's a show. But but whatever they whatever they choose to do, that's their prerogative. And if they refuse to accept the fact that NFL fans are fans of the NFL, even when it's not NFL season, what can we do? What can we do? I'm not going to fly over there for a meeting with them. Hey, you should you should take the NFL seriously even when it's not NFL season. They should, yeah. But I'm not going to go tell them that. They should figure that out on their own. It's way out of my pay grade. I know that. That's I have no control. I mean, at least maybe you have something you could say. I mean, it is your show. I mean, pro football talk is you, right? I so I know, I know, I, I know. So we got we got nothing to do with it and nothing at all. So you know, come back next and- week. And we'll come out with a bang next week. We'll throw a bunch of four-letter words out and really make it worth its while when it gets on Sky Sports so that people can enjoy us for you know the limited time they see us. I, I do, from time to time, regret making my email address so readily available. There are some days when I enjoy the interaction. There are some days when it's just a stream of complaints, and, and I have to restrain myself. And sometimes I succeed, and sometimes I don't. All right, let's get to it. We've, we haven't wasted that much time today. At least we haven't no, talked about good. Wordle. Yesterday's Wordle was comma, by the way. And there's no spoiler to be had because it's over. It's done. You can't play it. It's not like you can save it for a day. If you don't play it, by the time we get to midnight, it resets with a new word. But yesterday, Comma, C-O-M-M-A was the word. Chris said he was going to do it, but he's saving it for the weekend, apparently. Apparently wants to try it after he smoked a daddy cigar or two to make it more interesting. <laughs> I'm too knee-deep in the draft right now. So, you know, when I get done here on, like, a day like today, I, I literally go right home and sit down at my little desk and start going through film. So, tomorrow, Saturday, when I, you know, slow morning, all of that, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out and try to give it a go for sure. All right, well, y'all should, uh, should be checking out all weekend long PFT for any developments on the DK Metcalf front. There was a story yesterday from Howard Eskin of WIP in Philadelphia. He's also a sideline reporter for the Philadelphia Eagles. Not a guy that breaks a lot of news NFL-related, but he is kind of plugged into the broader yeah, NFL matrix. Definitely. He had a report yesterday, and I think it's important to understand what he was reporting and what he wasn't reporting. He reported the Jets were willing to offer the 10th overall pick in the 2022 draft 
to the Seahawks for receiver DK Metcalf, but that the Seahawks just won't even listen to offers. And that prompted reports that the Jets never offered the 10th overall pick. And no, they didn't. If you pay attention to what the guy said, they didn't get a chance to. Yeah. So there's all these people out there kind of gleefully saying, you know, the, oh, the report's wrong. There was no... There was no offer. No, he never said there was an offer. The bigger side of this is the notion that the Seahawks are refusing to listen to offers. Now, I'm not sure I buy that. Yeah, me neither. If it's if that, and I can't refute it. Yeah, right. But how dumb would you have to be to not listen to offers? That's just stupid. I, Why would you not listen? I, I I don't know either. You know, and again, I, I you know maybe we'll get some more details about this situation over the next few days that'll make it make a little more sense to us, but uh, I'm with you there. I mean, it goes back into the the conversation we kind of hit on yesterday, just as far as, you know, Seattle and exactly what are they doing? You know, again, we we thought they were in a rebuild mode. I mean, you have a chance to get the number 10 pick for DK Metcalf. And of course you're going to get other picks to go along with that. I don't know if you get the second round pick, right? As it being the number 10 pick as compared to, you know, the picks, the, the the Raiders traded away, and some of the other teams that traded uh, the uh, you know the Kansas City Chiefs for for Tyree Kill and Devonte Adams. But either way, I mean that's a hell of a tool to have. You know, number nine pick, number ten pick. You can do a lot of different things there to figure out your team and build it for the future. So I, again, I think it's one of those right now where I, I look at it like you, Mike, kind of like maybe they're just kind of still evaluating, you know, the room a little bit as far as what they want to do exactly, how the draft is going to go, and maybe they're not willing to get too deep into these conversations yet just because they're not sure exactly how far into the rebuild phase they want to go. That's the only thing I can really really justify in my brain. I feel like it would take more than the 10th overall pick to get it. No, definitely. just be a starting point. Right, right. Exactly. I was saying, are they going to get, because with Tyreek and Devontae Adams, right, you got the second round picks to go along with that first round pick. But that for, those first round picks were later in the first round. So the number 10 pick, of course, has incredible value. Uh, and then that's to me where, again, I was saying, yes, it's going to take more than that, just that one pick. But I don't know if they get the second round pick. It might be the number 10 pick and a third rounder and a pick in next year's draft. I don't know exactly how that value is going to go, but certainly 10 is more valuable than that Chiefs or Raiders pick that they had in the 20s to, to trade their receivers away. I doubt that they expect two first round draft picks. Right, Maybe right? part of the psychology here is we gave up two first round draft picks for Jamal Adams. And frankly, that 10th overall pick is Seattle getting I know. one of their first-rounders back? That may be that shouldn't be a psychological barrier. This is a separate transaction. You've already done the Jamal Adams deal, and how quickly they have pivoted from being a team that says F them picks to a team that says F them picks. We'd like them. We're rebuilding. Let's do something with it. They've already traded their untouchable guy. That's what makes this idea that they're just hanging up the phone before anybody can even blurt out the offer, the Bengals' approach to any interest that they had in the number one overall pick two years ago when the Dolphins were trying to get their attention. It's stupid. It's ludicrous. It doesn't fit with what they're currently doing. What they're currently doing is tearing it down. So why would you not consider tearing it down even further with a guy that's going to want $27, 28000000 million a year? You don't have a quarterback to get him the football. He's not going to be happy this year if it's Drew Locke. And whoever else. Yeah. And why not Why not sell now and get him on a team that's going to use him and it's going to pay him? And and uh, we're still three weeks away. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe the, the Seahawks are maybe the Seahawks are happy this is out there because the message is if you want to try to get this guy, you got to come to the table with something more than the 10th overall pick. Yeah, I, I think this could be part of the, the justification or thought process a little bit, too. For teams maybe to figure out the board a little bit more to how they think the draft might fall out. Oh, wait, we're here at the end of the first round. You know, oh, man, it's not looking like we're going to get any of the receivers maybe we wanted. Crap, let's call the Seahawks. Maybe we got to make a deal for DK Metcalf. There there could be some of that going on along as themselves trying to kind of figure out where exactly they want to go with receiver and a few other spots. This did cross my mind too, Mike, thinking about this. And, and and please tell me if you, you think it's stupid or doesn't make sense, but maybe they're looking at DK Metcalf as like, hey, 
This is, you know, the only blue chip guy we really got left on the roster. Him and Jamal Adams, at least the only real blue chip guy in the offense. And I know Tyler Lockett's really damn good. I don't mean disrespect by that, but this is like super freak, you know, superhuman DK Metcalf. To me, he's in a little different category. But maybe they look at it as like, yeah, we want to rebuild, but that's one piece we want to keep. He's a receiver that's just starting his prime. We know receivers can have a long shelf life in the NFL. Maybe you know they're looking at it like, hey, rebuilding in this day and age in the NFL is only a year or two process. And maybe they feel like, hey, we'll keep him and we'll get the quarterback a year from now or a year and a half from now, and then we can have DK Metcalf and this new team that we built around him. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking this is one guy they're willing to keep because of his age, his talent, and – you know, the importance of that position, uh, that has crossed my mind, at least, you know, trying to put myself in their shoes to a degree. Well, you know, you know what they need to do then? They need to pay the guy. That's the way you end it. Yeah. That's the way you end I the know. talk. You're right. If you really want to keep him, you you peel off some of that that uh, major Jody Allen Better cash. Right. And, you, and, and it's, it's only going to get more expensive. Right. As time and dicey, goes by. Some, to your points, you know, dicey, too, because of all the things you said. You're unhappy next year. It doesn't go well. All of a sudden, he goes, ah, screw this place. I like it, but I don't see, you know, where it goes. So you're right. If you are going that right route, they need to pay him, like you're saying, and, and do it quickly. I was on KJR last night in Seattle, and I was asked about all this huge money that's being paid to the receivers and why is the receiver market going haywire because they're bracing for either a trade of DK Metcalf or a similar contract. And one thing that I pointed out that I think we need to understand here is the salary cap is on the front end of an explosion. The pandemic screwed everything up. It knocked in more ways than one. But from right. the NFL salary cap standpoint, there was a $25 million per team difference in what the cap was versus what it would have been. They're working their way through those losses, but the cap is back up to 208, and it's going to keep going up and up and up in presumably sizable amounts because of the TV money and the gambling revenue that continues to explode. So these deals that are being done now – they look ridiculous. And and remember, we, we talked about this yesterday. Yeah. The agents like them to look even more ridiculous right. than they do. But when we get two, three, four years out, the cap keeps going up and up and up. And this is a problem with having so much transparency for what the players make. We never hear anything about what the owners make. Yeah. All we do is see their, their 300-foot yachts. We never hear... The dollars. The only team we have any access to the financial information is the Green Bay Packers, and they don't have an owner that's taken all that profit and pouring it into his or her pocket. So the transparency with the players means we resent the players. Oh, they're making too much money. They don't deserve it. No, they, they, do, they, they do deserve it. The teams wouldn't be giving it to them if they didn't deserve it. The teams wouldn't be giving it to them if they couldn't afford it. And the reason the numbers are so nutty now is because 208 is going to become 230 is going to yeah. become 250 is going right. to become 300 yes. million per team per year. First year of the salary cap it was like 40 million per team. It's going to be 300 before the end of the decade. I guarantee you. Uh, the definitely. question is how quickly does it get to 300? Yeah, I, I mean it's, that seems to be a league-wide sentiment that you're saying here and sharing with everybody. Everybody kind of has that feel that. Yes, the, the, it's about to explode. You know, with well, you said it right. And look, look at how popular it was back, you know, on TV again this year in the NFL. It killed it. I mean, it killed it. Ratings galore everywhere. Didn't matter what time frame, whatever, it killed it. So, you know, from that standpoint, and you said the gambling and all that, yes, uh, the money is, is – I, I would expect – some huge jumps here in the next few years. You're, you're right. Like, I would think we get to $300 million maybe before the decade's over, uh, it, at least the way it seems like it's setting up. But, yeah, it's not, it's not as big as money as everybody thinks, and the contracts aren't what everybody thinks. And you're right. It would be great to hear, like, oh, yeah, they're paying the best player and the best receiver in football $27 million a year. But, oh, don't forget the owner pocketed $495 million last year and took that home with him. I mean, come on. I mean, that's, that, that's the kind of prices we're talking about here, $300, $400 million when the owners are, you know, taken, taken for themselves, and, and, and rightly so. I get that. But you're right. It would help public sentiment if people knew those numbers a little bit. From 2013 to 2020, the cap went from 123 million per team to 198 million per team. 75 million per team in a seven-year span. 
21 is when it took a drop due to the pandemic, but now it's back north of where it was in 2020. It's at 208, and I just think we're going to keep seeing this acceleration. And, yeah, it's going to hit 300 well before the end of the decade, well before. Yeah. Thanks to gambling, thanks to the TV deals. And the NFL is the one thing that can pull together an audience of 20 to 30 million people live, real-time, right now, play a game, and you get millions to stop what they're doing and focus. In a world where people are fractured into every possible thing that you could do at any given time, whether you're listening to music, whether you're reading a podcast, whether you're watching this show on Netflix or that show on Peacock or this show on Hulu and you're this series or this movie or whatever, or, or possibly reading a book, maybe Playmakers, which fewer and fewer people are doing, as I've, I've learned as I learn more about the publishing industry, but I digress. The reality is there's one thing that can pull a huge audience together. One thing, and it's the NFL. So, yes, it's going to make more money. The players are going to make more money. Don't get mad at the players because they're making more money. Don't get mad at them. That's the reality. And right now, the receiver market is hot. You know, Chris, I was trying to reconcile this with Shireen yesterday on PFTPM. Let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. Receivers who are proven, who are established among the best in the game are making gigantic money. They're getting closer and closer to $30 million a year. Even though there is a fresh supply every year of great young receivers, it's kind of like the running back position, but the receivers, unlike the running backs, are getting gigantic money, the best of the best. Teams aren't saying, ah, we're not going to pay them. We'll just go draft somebody. It's, it's, a, it's a, a weird difference and distinction between two positions that are becoming very much alike because of the supply every year of new guys who can do what the older, very expensive guys can do. Why are they so expensive yeah, yeah. when there are these younger guys that are coming in that can do the same thing? It's it's a weird dynamic that's been punctuated this year by Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs. Yep. Now this expectation that DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown are going to get that money. It's hard to reconcile because one of these teams eventually is going to say, screw it. We'll just, and maybe that's what the Packers did. See, for every team that says, yeah, come on, bring him, like the Raiders and the Dolphins with Adams and Hill, you got the Packers and the Chiefs saying, we'll take the draft picks and go get the young guy. Well, you're right. I mean, there's definitely that aspect. I think there's a few things that come into play here. It's a good conversation. It really is. First off, wide receiver, there's, there's more of a shelf life, right? So, there's going to be more willingness to throw money at them because one, wait, you know, we think this guy, you know, not only he's got some, a bunch of years left in him, but he's going to stay healthy too. the injury rate, getting banged up, losing speed, losing power because of the crushing, the crushing hits the running backs always take. It takes a big toll. So I think that's part of the reason too. And then I think also Mike, the value of the wide receiver is, is really propped up by the way the NFL is set up right now. That's the biggest thing. It's it's the the old adage of you know defense wins championships and you know you got to run the ball in the playoffs like the, that crap's done not no more not anymore yeah sure that helps and there's years that'll certainly may be true but again we just watched two teams get in the Super Bowl with high powered passing offenses that you know hey we got a problem here and a problem here but it doesn't matter you can't cover this guy zing zong zoom and we're gonna throw the ball over the field on you. You know, so that's where I think the value has gotten because I think teams have looked at it and go, whoa, you get two game breaking receivers on your team and all of a sudden you have an elite unit and all of a sudden we got a really damn good team and we're hard to beat no matter what the circumstances are with good receivers, good quarterback and the way the rules are set up. I think that would be without thinking about it a whole lot. And I probably have more thoughts on this. That would be my first few thoughts, at least, Mike. Does that make sense to you at all? Well, it does. And the one thing I thought of is the fact that you have much more wear and tear on the running backs. Exactly. Car crashes. Right. They they burn out faster than the receivers. Yeah. But from a purely dollars and cents value judgment standpoint, the idea that you can go find plenty of young receivers who can come in and have an impact. You know, how many teams, and this goes back to the old conversation about guys like Terrell Owens and Randy Moss, how many teams win Super Bowls with true number one top of the league receivers how many actually do it not many yeah not many win it with the absolute best game-breaking receiver in the nfl on the field and yes we saw the chiefs do it a couple of years ago yeah but 
but Rams you know, last year. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Rams with Cooper Cup, yeah, yeah. Chip. No, but it's changing. Point. I think that's to your point. It's changing. The it's a di- it's different now. I think that's what it is. And it's it's not about we're just going to pay this one running back. It's going to go. Wait, we want a receiver that can fly down the field and run deep. And oh, damn, wait, there's another one that's specialized in running these five and eight yard routes and is really quick out of his breaks and he's smart. Well, he's not the superstar. The guy that can go deep is that we're going to pay twenty-five million. But damn, this is an important thing for our offense, so we're going to pay him fifteen or sixteen million, right? You know, so that's I think that's another aspect too. There's a little bit. There's a few other ways to do it at the position uh, and get money that way as well, which might add to the value of the market and the overall number of receivers altogether too. By the way, Cooper Cup may want to begin leaking the idea that he's considering retirement or going to Amazon to be uh, an on-air talent because uh, he needs some leverage. He's making $14.875 million this year, $14.625 million next year. He's got two years left on his contract. He only did a three-year extension, which was really smart from his perspective because he's, he's in about half of the market right now. I think the Rams yeah. – uh, they, they need to, they're they need doing to, good they there need get, they need to go back to the couch cushions but, on the stan Kroenke super yacht and start no digging doubt. around for some money no doubt but hey rams bucks chiefs man there's three super bowl champs in a row where you go oh no no there was substantially something about the offense and the receivers you know so that, you know again i think there's a little bit of a sign of the times and how things are changing too a little bit there to the value of it but it's a, it's a good conversation there's no doubt about that Here's the other side of it, too, though. There's a lot more great receivers than there used to be. There is. There definitely is. You know, but I think we're seeing that, you know, there's there is a unlike the quarterbacks, we're seeing a true pecking order at wide receiver to a degree as far as like, oh, wait, these are superstar guys. Oh, these are number two guys. Oh, this guy is just a slot guy. All of that. So there are different tiers uh, in that, too. But you're right. I mean, we got a ton of talented guys coming out every year. And, you know, the, to tie this all together a little, too, with the Jets, Mike, and what we're talking about here, this is the other thing I just wanted to bring up about this. Obviously, the Jets don't love any receiver at number 10. I mean, they, they've pretty much made that clear over the last, like, week or so. You know, at least there's no one there that they're just going, hey, we're good, we're good, we'll just sit here and wait. You know, again, I think the receiving class is a hair overrated this year. I do. I said that to you, I think, last week. Uh, but I do find that interesting, too. They're kind of sitting in the range of you can have any receiver you want. Nobody's being looked at as a top 10 pick. So you're going to have maybe the first guy off the board or whoever it is. And they don't seem to fancy anybody as of right now. They'd rather have that proven commodity that you talk about so much. I don't want the first receiver off the board in round one. I think yeah. that's the kiss of, <laughs> yeah, death. kiss of death. I want a yeah. guy... I want a second rounder who comes into the NFL with a chip on his shoulder to stick up his butt, and he's working even harder to prove that he should have been a first rounder. The Michael Thomas effect. That's what I want. You look at A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf. They were all second round picks in 2019. Yeah. That extra little boost. I know Jamar Chase turned out fine. As a <laughs> Get him, Pete. Pick. Pete's he's selling the him in his ear. <laughs> Shut up, Pete. Shut up, Pete. Henry Ruggs. Yeah. <laughs> Henry Ruggs wasn't a great receiver before he had completely different issues that washed him out of the league. So yeah, right. There, there's you, 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 and you get him cheaper too if you get him in second and third round. I mean, there's there's something to be said, just like with running back. Yeah. Because there's so many of them, do not rush to get one unless you do get a great guy like Jamar Chase last year by the Bengals. Pete, I stand or sit corrected. <laughs> All right, l- let's let's turn the page to Bruce Arians. Big news a week ago. We spent Thursday's show talking about his abrupt and sudden and surprising decision to retire, resign, whatever word you want to apply to it, as head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was on... Florio, you can write whatever you want. You can write whatever you want, Florio. Sports (laughs) yesterday. Talking about a variety of things. Here he is talking about the timing of his retirement and his relationship with hashtag Tommy, Tom Brady. I I was waiting for Tom and see what he was going to do, and... uh, you know, once decided he came back, and uh, it was a no-brainer. Um, Todd's in a great shape. The organization's in a great shape. Uh, probably wouldn't have done it had Todd not unretired. Tom were you, unretired. Were you uh, were you shocked at all that Tom Brady did come back, or was because you said you're kind of waiting? Was that was it a possibility? I mean, that's a lot kind of hanging on that. Yeah, there was always a possibility, and we're going to wait till the last minute. And uh, 
we were making plans in case he didn't. And uh, <clears throat> but thank goodness he did. The whole rift that supposedly existed between you and Tom Brady was that for real? No, not at all, Wolf. I mean, you know me, I cuss them all out. That's, and, that's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> but we have we have a great relationship. We play golf, and uh, you know Tom's fantastic, and uh, I enjoy being around him, and uh, look forward to the future and, and watching uh, him continue to play great and Todd run the run the ship. You know, it's like pulling a string on a doll with Bruce Arians when this topic comes up. I cuss them all out, and we play golf. That doesn't address the deeper issue. The deeper issue is Bruce Arians was semi, if not mostly, retired. Bruce Arians was out of the picture. Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady were cranking every week on the offense, and this idea that Arians would show up and start tinkering with things late in the game and frustrating Leftwich and Brady, that's where the friction came from. Yeah. And also this idea that it, – uh, you know, maybe not running the tightest ship in Tampa Bay. Uh, contrasting how hard Bill Belichick worked with how hard Bruce Arians doesn't work. And, and remember the Sean Payton. And one thing I learned this week, not that we had any doubts about it, but sometimes when you're having conversations about other things, you trip over even more information that causes you to be even more convinced about things you've previously said. Yeah. Folks. Sean Payton, Tom Brady, yes. matching up together in Miami right. was as real as it could have been. It was happening. I said this last night on PFTPM. Super Bowl week, you know what we were going to find out? We were going to find out that Tom Brady was now a minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. That didn't happen. The Brian Flores lawsuit, which was filed the same day that Tom Brady retired, that lawsuit, the allegations in it and its implications – kept this from happening in Miami. It was going to be Tom Brady becoming a minority owner of the Dolphins, Super Bowl week, Sean Payton becoming the head coach of the Dolphins not long thereafter in a trade that probably would have sent a first-round pick from the Dolphins to the Saints, and then later in the spring, Tom Brady unretiring and being traded by the Buccaneers to the Dolphins. Yeah. That was real. Definitely. That was happening. Now, why do you think Tom Brady wanted to go that route what I mean uh, you know I, if everything was perfectly fine in Tampa Bay if he believed that they had a clear shot to another Super Bowl win and he had no frustrations about the way things were being done there why would he have entertained going back to the AFC back to the AFC East with a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in several years and yes they, they they've sh they're showing that they have something but it, it it's not nearly as stacked as the Buccaneers are, and it's in a much tougher spot than the Buccaneers are in. It definitely is. Yeah, it's it's de a little you know it's got the unproven commodity aspect of it. But I, I you know again connecting dots, reading between the tea leaves, all of that. Uh, yes, I, I would think that's part of the play. Hey, people could say what all they want and all that. You talk to whoever they want in the NFL. All right, everybody knows that there was a little bit of a issue with the dynamic you're talking about left which and Brady doing the offensive stuff and Bruce Arians getting involved that's it's a known thing I don't know you can talk to anybody so it's not like Mike and I are sitting here trying to cause a problem or you know stir the pot here a little bit these are very common inside the NFL talk rumors not you know I don't even want to say they're rumors things that it's real talk so there obviously was something there there's no question and Sean Payton is more along the lines of Bill Belichick, to your point. Hey, it is Miami. We know Brady's building the house down there. It seems like they want to go that route. You've talked about it. It's closer to Costa Rica, Brazil, everything like that. Makes sense. Certainly does. And then you tie in the football stuff, too. And, yeah, I think it, that that's real. Now, what I still am going to sit here, and because, like, I love Bruce Arians. You know that. I do. I'm a big fan of his. He's more times than not been very honest. And there's parts of me that want to believe him a little bit here as, you know, he tells this story about, you know, I kind of wanted to retire, but I wasn't going to do it unless Brady came back. I kind of want to because I do believe it's in him to think about Todd Bowles and think about that type of move. I do think Bruce Arians is that type of human being that would do that. I do. But I'm not sure if I really do believe exactly that this is the way it went down. I, I, I still 
can't get behind that totally between the things I know and things we know behind the scenes a little bit to where it just doesn't quite make sense, and I'm not going to totally believe it until I hear maybe some more substantial rumors or inside info there. Somebody came up with a narrative that was partially true that they were able to sell to Arians that allowed him to walk away without the perception that he was pushed. Yeah. It's that simple. It seems, and it that, seems happens that way. Right. In other industries, that happens in all walks of life. We have to come up with something that that makes it look better than it would be and even make it look like it was the idea of the person who's actually being nudged out of the way. Because, again, the idea that Tom Brady comes back. I, I had this thought earlier in the week because I made this as it relates to Brady and Bill Belichick. Let, let's have an even better example. Let's say that last year, Drew Brees retires from the Saints. And 17 days later, Drew Brees unretires. No, wait, I, I, I'm getting my timeline wrong. Drew Brees retires from the Saints. 40 days later, he unretires from the Saints. Surprises everyone. He's back. If Sean Payton leaves 17 days later, that's a pretty big deal for Drew Brees. Drew Brees' reaction to that is, hey, Sean, I wish you would have bleeping told me uh, to you me, Mike, leave you're exactly 17 right. days later exactly right if if i'm coming back to play yes the idea that there has been nothing not even a peep not even a regret a lie uh, and nothing just oh that's fine yeah great well yeah bruce is out that's fine i'm still here no yeah. big deal none of yeah. these guys ryan right. jensen nobody else nobody's got any concerns about signing contracts no it's fine come on come on people the evidence is hiding in plain sight and um, anyway, and, and you throw just what we see on top of what we already know, what you and I know, and we would not be banging this drum as aggressively if we, if we uh, trust me, this Tom Brady to Miami was happening. So why did he retire for 40 days? Why did he retire when he did? He didn't retire when he did because ESPN reported he was retiring. So he had no choice but to retire. Give me a freaking <laughs> break. He retired because... He wanted to implement some other plan yeah. for the continuation of his career. No question. And Miami was plan A. Maybe San Francisco was plan B. Miami was plan A. Yeah, and Miami was definitely plan A. And, and you know, we, we, we know that. I, I, I know it. So, and, and, of course, you know it, too. So that, that was a real thing. And, obviously, there was, you know, some finagling and some wiggling. And as I understand the timeline, too, there, yes, it was trying to figure that out. And then going back to Bruce Arians, you know, quote that we just heard there, he, hey, we, then we started to make plans for other QBs. And that's when, the, you know, Tom was coming to the point of, wait, I don't know if I have any other avenues here. And, oh, wait, they're going to start flirting with maybe Deshaun Watson and some of these other guys that might hit the market here. I got to make a decision. Okay, I'll come back to the Tampa. And then that starts the next phase of that conversation, which we believe is, okay, I want to come back, but I'm not sure I want to be back with Bruce Arians. And, you know, again, there's a lot of people in the league that think that certainly had gone down because we know the history a little bit and some of the issues there. And last week, Buccaneers GM Jason Light told Rich Eisen that Tom Brady never demanded that. And again, come on, let's apply common sense. Part of being Tom Brady is you don't have to get your hands dirty. You don't have to demand anything. You have ways of making your point without ever having to directly make the point to Jason Light or anyone named Glazer in the ownership right. reaches of the organization. Or if he does, don't have to do that. To your point, you've always said, Mike. I mean, even if he did, they're not going to do anything. I mean, this is this is Don Corleone of Tampa right now. They're going to kiss the ring, and they're they're not going to make him look bad. They're all about, like you've always said. Get him back in the stadium. Get the stadium filled. Sell more jerseys. We need Brady. So they're going to do and say whatever they got to do to continue to appeal to him and make him feel comfortable, which I understand. They should. He's freaking Tom Brady. He's the man, and he's still damn, damn good quarterback. One last point before we pivot to another soundbite from Bruce Arians that on the back end maybe we will stir up a little more trouble, but let's wait on that. I want to say this. The Brian Flores lawsuit, the fact that it contained the allegations about Flores resisting and urging to meet with a high-profile quarterback who wasn't named, and everybody knows it was Tom Brady, I just, I, I, I'm curious 
as to whether the Flores lawsuit was specifically constructed to have the effect of pulling the plug on the Brady slash Peyton to Miami plan. How much about that was Flores aware of? How much about that made its way into the allegations of his original complaint? And and what were they were they holding the paperwork for the day that Tom Brady retired? I mean, was it an accident or a coincidence that the Brian Flores lawsuit got filed the same freaking day? Did they have that thing ready to go? And Flores knew what the plan was. He knew that he was going to become a minority owner of the Dolphins Super Bowl week, that that's when it was going to be announced. So he had to retire at some point before then. So let's have the paperwork ready to go. And the day Tom Brady retires, we're going to drop this thing onto the NFL. That that's There's a story potentially to be told there because it's either a coincidence or it's not. I think there was definitely some shady things that went on as far as Brian Flores and what you know he's concerned with. I, that is interesting. I, I'd be interested to know that as well. At the very least, I mean, the more we know here, the more I mean, we know that you know certainly all these things. Yeah, pull up your boat next to another guy's boat, and yeah, that famous quarterback was going to be Tom Brady, and there was going to be a conversation with ownership and whatever. Flores didn't want to take part of that. And also, I mean, yeah, of course, it looks now that Flores was fired because they thought they were going to get Brady and Sean Payton. I, I got to think that was part of the reason of the firing, let alone, I don't know, there's, there's obviously some other issues maybe that we've talked about and heard. But, I mean, the way it's lining up right now, that's the way it looks, certainly. And I, then, of course, the lawsuit itself, I don't know if that affected it or, or where it went from there. But certainly things spiraled downhill in a hurry after all of that. By the way, quick reminder, it was 10 days ago that we told you on this program that the Brian Flores lawsuit would be amended by April 8 to include, among other things, two additional plaintiffs, two additional teams. Today is April 7. Friendly reminder, something is coming very, very soon as it relates to the Brian Flores case. Here's Arians talking about Byron Leftwich. Pay very attention to very close attention or very attention as the case may be to what Aaron's has to say about the credit he gets for the team's offense and the credit that Tom Brady gets in relation to Byron Leftwich. Here it is. I really thought he was going to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. Uh, got so, so close. Yeah. It's on the horizon for him. I mean, he's a star and uh, he, I, I get credit and Brady gets way too much credit for what Byron does with our offense. And uh, one of the reasons I, I hope, he gets all the credit he deserves this year uh, to get a head coaching gig. You know, he had about four or five teams real interested last year. I would anticipate him to be a head coach real fast. Pay attention to that. I get credit, and Tom Brady gets way too much credit. I get credit, and Tom Brady gets way too much credit for the offense. There's no friction between the two guys, obviously. There's none, none whatsoever. There'd be no reason to have any friction between the two guys. But, boy, that's, there's a lot in that statement that just kind of blurts out of Bruce Arians. I get credit. And, and Bruce Arians always says, I'm not doing anything. He always says that they run the offense. But Tom Brady gets way too much credit for the offense. That's just one of those little – and this isn't where you cuss a guy out. That's one of those little knife twists. It's not the cussing out – along with everyone else on the team. Tom Brady's used to that. He got it in, in New England. Yeah. It's those little public knife twists. It's calling him out for interceptions in press conferences. Sometimes calling him out for interceptions he didn't that aren't his fault. It hit the receiver in the hands and he dropped it. Remember that? That happened at one point this past yeah, season. Right. Yeah. Called him out Washington for an interception game. that yeah. was not his fault. Right. It was not his fault. The guy dropped the ball. How right. do you call him out for that? But it's that little he knows what he's doing. Arians knows what he's doing. Says what he says, and then if anybody asks him about, well, what are you talking about? We, we, I chew out everybody and we golf. Yeah, that's that's the fallback. Oh, there's no problem. I chew, I chew out everybody and we golf. But he does those those little things like that. That's a little, you know. Tom gets way too much credit for the offense. He's the quarterback for crying out loud. I mean, do you think Byron Leftwich would put together the kind of offense that they had if he didn't have Tom Brady? You think they would have done this with with Jameis Winston or Blaine Gabbert? Hell no. 
Well, no, no. I mean, they wouldn't have had the results. Certainly, not the same results. Now, the offense—that's what's—that's what's—that's what's, that's what's going to be cool for people who buy Byron Leftwich, or and they're going to look at it and go, "Wait, what he's been doing here for a while? It's been good. I mean, it's been good. They just didn't have the right guy, you know, running the ship there. And I think he had what one year there with Byron uh, with the uh, Jameis Winston, but yes, Leftwich is on the horizon. No que- no doubt about that. I mean, he is every shape way or form fits being an NFL coach can talk to guys has the right attitude and mantra and you know has that way of I can be tough on them but I can be cool with you too and of course is very smart football X's and O's wise I I, hey I I hear what you're saying there that might have been a little bit of a you know just a a a Freudian slip right I can never say that exactly right as far as just letting the true emotions come out he gets way too much credit you know again that's a pretty common sentiment. It goes on sometimes with these superstar quarterbacks because we start to give everybody starts to give them credit for everything, and it's just oh the quarterback, the quarterback, the defense played better because of the quarterback, and then that's where I do think staffs and we've even heard some of these murmurs in New England as much as they love Tom Brady, where he just they were it's like they were he was getting all the credit up there, and you know of course people in New England and everyone's like wait. We designed a play where the guy's wide open five yards over the middle of the field, and we just go Brady, 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 Brady. So coaches get sick of hearing that crap too. Um, And, yeah, I think that was a little bit of a Freudian slip or under-the-radar shot there a little bit. I'll agree with you there. Do you remember when we used to argue about the proper way to say rock, paper, scissors? Yes. What would I say? Rock, scissors, paper? Is that the thing? Yeah. It's really rock, paper, scissors? It's rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yeah. We have found your rock, paper, scissors, and it is the phrase way, shape, or form. Because you've said that a couple of times I recently, know. and you have not said you have not said way, shape, or form. I think you're saying shape, way, way or form. form. I think I have, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, this yeah. thing just has thoughts that go on. And I want to just say football things, but the other things in between, to make the point, don't always make sense. So, uh, yeah, i got to clean some of those up there. In some way, One shape, more football or form. thing that Bruce Arians had to say yesterday on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports. An effort last year to try to have a reunion with receiver Larry Fitzgerald. Here's Arians. Have you ever tried to get Larry to go play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did ba i mean you tried to get him to to play there with tom brady yeah when we lost our guys and uh yeah especially when chris Godwin got hurt i called fitz and he said coach i couldn't run two plays right now but thanks (laughs) i just had to check brother you know it makes sense they lose chris Godwin week 15 the storm clouds were there with antonio brown they finally erupted on Sunday, January 2, week 17, and they, they would have had a need for Layford Sheldon. And that was the one team a year ago when we were coming up with all sorts of takes and ideas about what could happen in the season to come. Larry Fitzgerald signing off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pursuing that Super Bowl ring that he could have had, should have had in early 2009 in that game. The Cardinals almost won in Tampa over the Steelers. Would have made sense. And I don't know how much of a difference he would have made, especially if he says himself he can't he can't play at this point but you get Larry Fitzgerald with any gas in the tank you throw him into that offense for the postseason it's not going to make him worse that's for sure no I mean but obviously he felt like there was no gas in the tank he he would have filled that Chris Godwin role if he was ready to play like like you said for sure that's kind of what he was at the end of his career like a big slot receiver work the middle of the field read defenses oh wait this guy's playing me this way I'm gonna break this way Brady yeah that'd have been cool I mean no doubt about it but he obviously felt like it was over and done with and you know I think too you know that late in the year yeah even if for a guy like Larry Fitzgerald freak of nature hall of famer all that if you haven't really been running or staying somewhat in shape you got no chance there and it sounds like that's kind of where Larry was in his life and nobody wants to come back beyond the point where they can play like they used to, and that's an intensely personal decision. Are you ready to make the commitment? Do you believe that you'll still be able to get it done? And he just decided that he wouldn't be able to get it done. One guy that can still get it done for the Buccaneers, at least they think so, Blaine Gabbert is back. He was the 10th overall pick in 2011. 
a year or so ago, Bruce Arians said that Blaine Gabbard is the most underrated player in the NFL. And I think at one point he said one of the reasons he wanted to coach this year, if Tom Brady wasn't coming back, is he wanted to show people that Blaine Gabbard could get it done. Well, he's back on the depth chart. He's backing up Tom Brady again. And they go forward with the most underrated player in the National Football League, a guy who, and I got to give him credit, 10 years later, 11 years later now, he's still going strong as a player in the NFL when he very easily could have said, this was never what I thought it was going to be. I was a disappointment as a first round pick, but he's still, he's still there. He's still got enough love of the game that he's still there and he's still at it and he's still hoping for that next opportunity. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, still a professional, still has passion for the game. Um, there was a reason he was drafted in the top 10 of the draft. I can't even remember exactly what pick he was. It was 10th overall. Number 10, the Jacksonville. right before J.J. Watt. Yep, okay. So, but, hey, you know, he's got talent. He's got physical ability. And I think that's what Bruce Arians, you know, sees and just goes, man, you know, he's never gotten a chance to be in the right situation and play and really show himself with a team around him. But I think there's real belief there in the organization with him. And, and uh, I just – you know, watching him last year in pregame when we were down there, Tampa, Dallas, uh, for the Sunday night football, you know, NFL season opener and all that. I mean, this six four, you know, has the build of a guy that you look like to go, hey, that guy could be a superstar. And then his arm and the way he spins it and throws it, it's NFL starting caliber arm. That's so. That's where I think they see it. Um, but you know, that's a different story when you got to be the guy for seventeen weeks and really tear it up. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it, but we're not now, and now he's the backup, and I guess that means Kyle Trask is pretty much going to be the third stringer. 2011, the year without free agency, and teams that had quarterback needs were desperate to fill them. That was the year quarterbacks definitely got overdrafted. Cam Newton first overall, that wasn't a surprise. It was Jake Locker to the Titans at number 8, Blaine Gabbert to the Jaguars at number 10, Christian Ponder to the Vikings at number 12. At least the Vikings can't say they took a quarterback who never panned out instead of J.J. Watt. But two teams from the same division as the Houston Texans took quarterbacks who ultimately failed while Watt was still on the board. That, it's amazing. That's an amazing wrinkle from the 2011 draft. And it's another reminder of what we were talking about yesterday. Quarterbacks get overdrafted. Teams get themselves all all juiced up on the idea that this is the guy we want and it's this echo chamber and there's no dissenting voices and oh good idea boss and the next thing you know you put a name on a card for a guy that's destined to become a failure yeah i and that could that that could be a tale from this year's draft we'll we'll see where that goes i mean definitely but you you know we've we've talked about a little a little bit i only think there's three first round quarterbacks pickett I know most people's eyes in the NFL, they look at him as the number one guy. Yeah, he's the most NFL ready, but he's the least physically talented of the other of the three guys that can go in the first round. So that's that's scary. And then, yeah, the other guys have a little bit of a, a rawness about them. There's, there's something you'd like to see. Like, wait, they haven't put it all together. I see this part, this part, it's really good. And that's where it's scary. And uh, this quarterback thing is, is certainly going to be, you know, one that's hard to gauge, and I have no feel for where it's going to go right now as far as this draft's concerned. When it comes to NFL concerns regarding the government, typically it's the legislative branch that gets the league's attention. The judicial branch getting more of the league's attention. We'll explain that when this Thursday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected The unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Earlier this week, six attorneys general from six different states, the top law enforcement officer in each state, sent a letter to the NFL. The New York Times obtained a copy of it. The six states are 
New York, Illinois, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Oregon, and Washington. I still don't know why Oregon's involved because the NFL doesn't do business there. But, hey, the more the merrier when you're trying to send a message. Well, and yeah. This is a strong message yeah. regarding issues of workplace harassment, specifically of women and minorities. And it's not just the stuff that we know about the Washington Commanders controversy, the more recent Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders voyeurism scandal. There are specific incidents mentioned in this letter that were reported on by the Times back in February regarding things in the workplace that have caused concern for female employees and for minorities. And it's it's time, according to these folks, for the NFL to do something or they are going to investigate. And this is different from Congress. The attorney general of any state has broad powers to investigate, to take actions, to prosecute, to really create problems publicly for any company, especially a huge company like the NFL. And when an individual employee sues the NFL, what happens? They take it into private arbitration. We never hear about it. Something like this, if there would ever be some sort of a full investigation and prosecution of the NFL, maybe in New York State where it has its headquarters, that would all be subject to public viewing, understanding, scrutiny, accountability. This is something that has to have the NFL very concerned, Chris. And you could argue it's overdue because, you know, I've been talking to people for years about all it takes is one ambitious prosecutor to notice something that's going on with the NFL. And usually what happens, and this is kind of a loose understanding of how you get to the bottom of a situation and identify crimes that have been committed. But if you have a visceral sense that there's something wrong about this. You hear a set of facts and you say there's something wrong about that. Chances are you're going to find a statute somewhere that was violated as the person who did whatever they did was doing whatever they were doing, if that makes any sense whatsoever. That somewhere in there you will discover that a law was broken. And prosecutors have so much discretion and so much power. I am surprised. It, it hasn't happened before now that prosecutors would say, hey, NFL, it's it's time to have a real accounting for the way that you've conducted yourself in certain situations. And it's more than Congress that you need to worry about. You need to worry about prosecutors taking action against things that may be violating the law. No question. I mean, it's it's a hot-button topic right now. It is. And, and yes, the NFL is kind of, you know – under the microscope a little bit for how they're running their business and what they're doing here. Uh, I mean, I guess the first thing I want to say, Mike, is like they send a warning doing this. What's common play or common practice with this kind of, oh, we've sent a warning, right? You know, that's the, like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that that usually mean that when you get a warning like this, that a month later action starts to happen here and they do investigate? Or is it just like a shot across the bow just to be like, hey, you better tighten up or we're going to get, you know, we're going to get serious about this. That's, I guess, what I'm, I'm kind of wondering about the whole thing or what's the common practice after this kind of happens. Do you, do you know that at all? I think it's fair to call it a shot across the bow with a threat for more direct shots to come yeah. and a desire to engage in a conversation about what the NFL is doing to make this better while these prosecutors also establish and maintain relationships directly with people in the building, in the league office, with the teams, understanding are things getting any better. And this all flows from the New York Times report in February where 30 former league employees alleged they were subjected to several inappropriate actions. And here's just a flavor of what they claimed. Female employees said they were subjected to repeated viewings of the Ray Rice video when he knocked out his then fiance Janae Palmer, in an elevator in 2014. I don't know why any employees would be required to view that, male or female, but that's troubling. Um, and, and there was also commentary by coworkers that the victim had brought the violence on herself. That makes it even worse, obviously. Women reported that in training intended to improve sensitivity on the issue, they were asked to raise their hands to self-identify if they had been victims of domestic violence or knew someone who had. I mean, that just screams out as something you shouldn't be doing in a workplace, putting someone in that position where they have to say, hey, yes, I, I have been the victim of domestic violence. That's just an example of, of what kind of behavior that hasn't crystallized into a full-blown controversy that we know about that is driving this interest by the six attorneys general to, to see that the NFL is changing its ways. So 
Uh, we'll see what happens. There, but I suspect there'll be a response by yeah, the NFL. Right. And then I assume that the attorneys general will expect something more by way of engagement, by way of a plan that is introduced. You know, it's a part of the Brian Flores lawsuit. The Brian Flores lawsuit has specific things that he wants to see the NFL do. And I think that's exactly what the attorneys general will want at some point. What are you doing to make things better. Don't just come out and hold a press conference and say, we're going to make things better. What are you doing to make things better? And are you actually doing it? Or is this just another situation where you say, oh, Dan Snyder still isn't in charge of his team when there's a report the next day that refutes that and you just ignore that report? And how does anybody know what the truth really is? They want concrete steps toward making things better and they want to be sure that they're done genuinely and willingly with an idea of making things better than they've been. Yeah, well, uh, the NFL, as popular as it is, it, it, it needs to be better. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We've, we've, we've obviously found some areas where you go, wait, they're flawed or they're not as buttoned up as we thought they were in this department, and it needs to improve. So no question about that. Now, two things I want to say. One, when like we, we are hearing some of these things from the female employees they're talking about like in football facilities, right? We're not talking 345 Park Avenue, right? I, I'm led to believe that, or maybe it's just all of it. Maybe it's just in general. I don't know. That was one thing. I need to, I yeah. need to go back and revisit the letter right. because when I wrote the story yesterday, they had not posted the letter yet. So I need to take a closer look at it. To, I think that, you know, league empl- when I see league employees, I assume that means league office employees, but yeah. we'll see. But we clearly know there have been issues in Washington. Right. We know about that. What? And there presumably are issues with other teams because that's one of the reasons why they're protecting Dan Snyder. These other owners don't want to have the same standard applied to them potentially in the future if they have any dirty laundry that previously has gone unnoticed. So I think it's a combination of any and all teams and the league office. It's a culture that that potentially permeates the sport. You know, the argument would be the commanders aren't the outlier. They're just the ones who were stupid enough to get caught. And maybe in other organizations, there are similar attitudes and behaviors. You know, we've talked before about how the locker room at times is trapped in the 1950s. It could be that the front office of multiple teams is caught in a bygone era oh, as well. I, I would I would bet you there's more front offices in the 1950s and locker rooms. That's for sure. The players have lost, been around different cultures and environments and things like that. A lot of the front office guys have not. So I, I would think there's some, yes, some more, you know, old school, out-to-date thinking in the front offices of these buildings than there is in the locker room. All right? So that, that I, would, I would say that for sure. Now, Mike, the other thing I want to say to you is like, do you think this gets handed down or does somebody from Congress tell these attorney generals to do this? Like, do you think this is a conversation of connecting or do you think the attorney generals kind of just they did this on their own? To me, I have a hard time thinking that somebody in D.C. didn't put this on these guys radar, or these people's radar, excuse me, and get them to start down this road with this letter and, and some of these uh, issues that we're seeing here. I think that the issues are so out in the open that you really don't need any type of coordination between Congress and these are state officials. These aren't federal officials. Right, right. This is the the highest prosecutor in six different states. Now, I would suspect that Letitia James, the New York attorney general, is the one who's leading this because that's where the league office is. And she has proven to be extremely effective when it comes to addressing wrongdoing in these bigger organizations that typically are only policed by civil litigation. That's one of the reasons why civil litigation can be so effective. You have private attorneys general. You have people who are taking up the fight one victim at a time. But when you get the public attorney general involved and that person is chasing a company that has a culture that is premised upon activities and mindsets that violate modern norms and laws, that's when you have a real problem. So I think the NFL's got a real problem. Here. Yeah, it I mean, seems like it's just been it's been it's too been much. one thing after another. Uh-huh. And and again and again, anyone out there who will ask me from time to time, why do you hate the thing from which you earn your living? The people in charge of the thing from which I earn a living need to be held accountable if they are doing things that they should not be doing. 
If you love the NFL, you want the NFL and its teams to all be run by people who are of goodwill, who will follow the law, who will treat people the right way, and who will do honor to the shield. We hear all the time about how players must not undermine the shield. Well, it's not just the players who are undermining the shield. And if it's somebody in the league office, if it's somebody in the front office of one of the teams, if it's people who are doing things that they should not be doing in the workplace that are causing distress and pain, financial loss, emotional problems for the individuals who show up there every day, that needs to be called out. And that needs to be fixed. And that, if you're willing to stand up and say something's wrong with the way the NFL operates, it doesn't mean you hate the NFL. It means you love the NFL enough to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm like I'm. I'm. That's why I'm here too. I know. I, uh, it's not here to just be a jerk sometimes and do that. It's because of genuine love of the game and we want it to be better. I'm. I'm with you all the way. Also, Chris Sims has a question that's not as serious here. It's on the topic, but not really to do with the topic. It's attorneys general. It's not attorney attorneys generals. General. It just attorneys doesn't general. sound right. I don't know. No, it doesn't. It does not. Attorneys general. Right, I don't. That doesn't make That's sense. That's the plural. I know. That's the plural. But, uh, d- damn, I will. Well, I will be stupid forever because I'll never get that one right. I can tell you that. Well, in any shape, way, or form, <laughs> I don't disagree. Let's go ahead and take a break. We have seen a new video from the leader of Two and On. They are watching. They are listening. Oh, we are on notice. Do they we'll have brains? Directly. I don't know. From the leader of Two and On, when PFT Live continues right after. Oh wow. are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili mcdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets fries and sprite ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last 